We got started this thing 43 years ago. Uh, I got to know him then. I was in awe then. And then as years went by, I got more and more in awe. And then here lately, he is, he's just precious. Because I know one of these days, testing one, two, testing. You're going to turn this on? Testing, testing. Brother Dave, you want to come on up? Testing. Uh, he gets more and more precious every day. And uh, if, if he's not precious to you, you're missing something. I'm telling you, you're missing a whole lot of stuff. Uh, he'll do anything for you, and uh, he'll make your days go by quick. Brother, amen. Thank you, sir. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in church tonight. i got to put that on because I don't want to risk you not being able to hear me. Amen. 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 So let's give it a whirl. And uh, <laughs> okay, amen. Praise the Lord. It's uh, let me see, Fourth of July tomorrow. We became members of this church the day before Memorial Day. We've been here a month. I haven't, I haven't gotten in trouble yet, as far as I know. And let me just say thank you for uh, for being very welcoming and friendly to my wife and I. It means a lot. The Bible says, uh, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. I remember when I walked in the back door of Charity Baptist Church on December 23rd, 1990. And I didn't know what to expect. I had hair down the middle of my back. I was just out of jail. And, uh, you know, I thought Christians were a bunch of goody two-shoes, didn't know nothing about, you know, people like me. And uh, I was apprehensive, to say the least. And you know what they were? They were friendly. And it mattered to me. And it mattered to me enough that I came back Sunday night. And that's, uh, you know, been uh, 31 and a half years ago I've been in walking with the Lord. I wish I could say that I've been exactly as right with God as I could have been or should have been, but I never got out. I never let anything get me out. And uh, I was raised in a church that taught me to when uh, something don't seem right, you make your way this way, not that way. And it is a blessing to be in a church extremely similar to that here tonight and to be a member of, and I don't want to go on too much because you'll get a big head, but I just want to thank you. Uh, my wife and I, uh, Lord willing, are set to leave on Thursday. I was listening for an under the breath, amen, but I didn't hear one good. And uh, we're heading to New England for a couple of months. We covet your prayers. And uh, it's, we have great opportunities, and uh, we're looking forward to it, but we do, we do covet your prayers. Take your Bible tonight. Go to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read a couple verses, uh, beginning in verse 9. Acts chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says, All the people saw him, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Filled with wonder and and amazement. Now that's uh, that's quite a statement. And of course, the question that comes to mind, and and I knew the answer because I'd read to that point. But the question was, what in the world was it? I know it happened to the guy, but it caused others to be filled with wonders and amazement. And I'm going to give you the answer to that uh, in a nutshell. It's this right here: a beggar got more than he bargained for. 
That's what caused everyone else to be filled with wonder and amazement. Father, we do come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as been as, as has been sung and we concur, you are precious, Lord, and, uh, and uh, you ought to be. But Lord, I marvel still at the fact that we're precious to you. Amen. And Father, help us to take that a heart, take it to heart. And God, I pray that you just uh, move tonight, meet with us, help me to say something your spirit can bear witness to. And thank you, God, for the freedom we have to assemble and the place that we have to assemble and the reason we have to assemble. And may you be pleased with us tonight. And we pray it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. All right, so the title tonight uh, is More Than He Bargained For. And uh, a couple of things I want to bring out of the passage. And we go back to verse 1. Verse number 1, now we're going to see some things that lead up to that place where we started. But it says as in verse 1, now it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Amen. Uh, the thing that jumped off the page at me when I look at that verse is that word together. Amen. Uh, Peter and John were fishermen. Amen. Together at the Sea of Galilee in Matthew chapter 4 when the Lord approached them. And, and, and Peter and Andrew first and then James and John and said, follow me and I will make thee fishers of men. And they walked with God for three and a half years in his earthly ministry. And uh, they were uh, around uh, 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 when he was crucified. And now it's some period after, and I don't know exactly the number of years, but uh, it, to me, it's to their credit that they are still together. The Bible says in Amos chapter 3 and verse number 3, it says, can two walk together? except they be agreed. And I've noticed traveling around for 25 years in evangelism that we have a knack for making a bigger deal over something we don't agree on uh, and kind of disregarding all the things we do agree on. Amen. We kind of get, uh, uh, I call it a motorcycle club mentality uh, where uh, somebody can enjoy doing the same thing, look very similar, uh, and, and things and believe the same things, but be if we're not wearing the same colors, if you will, in other words, if there's a little bit of difference, we can throw out everything we have in common and make a big deal out of the difference. Let me tell you something, friend, that's not Bible. Amen. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul writes this, he says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And boy, I'm looking for that day. I'm looking for that time when we all come in the unity of the faith. Amen. I'm happy to listen. I wrote a book, uh, Biking and Brotherhood. This concept of brotherhood, this concept of like-minded fellowship to encourage one another is a big deal to me. It's been a big deal to me since I was a teenager and did not join the United States Navy. Amen. I'll take it. Amen. I became paratrooper in the United States Army because of the brotherhood, amen, uh, uh, that uh, represented that group. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, it, it, it uh, wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. And the problem with that isn't it as much as it was me. I wasn't what I should have been. But I got out and I, joined, I got started working in a motorcycle shop. 
And then I got into a little bike club, and the thing that attracted me, it, it wasn't because at 69 years old, I wanted to be a federal convicted felon. It wasn't uh, because I, I wanted to spend 20 years as a dopehead and, and a drunk. Uh, the thing that attracted me at Lifestyle was this concept of brotherhood. I'm here to tell you tonight that brotherhood is scriptural. Jesus Christ established a brotherhood. We're getting in on it, but the devil has many, many counterfeits. This bond of fellowship that we're talking about here uh, is scriptural. And uh, it's too bad that it's often disrupted by envy and strife and everything that goes along with the flesh and, and being people, being human. It gets disrupted by ambition and petty arguments, little nickel-dime thing, personality clashes. Amen. And just old-fashioned gossip. And this wasn't in the message, but I can't pass the opportunity to say something about social media. Because gossip has always been a problem in the church of Jesus Christ again. It's not because there's a problem in Jesus Christ. It's because of the people. Amen. And we're prone to that. And the Bible talks about it. And like every other sin, if you don't make a point to get victory over it, confess it, quit doing it, you're going to be guilty of it. And you put it on the list, well, it's not as bad as this. Well, it may not be as bad as some things. But if you got victory over those things, you think you've arrived, you think you made it, you're not there yet, let's get a handle on it. What social media has done is made it possible to take gossip way out of the uh, 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 confines of the local church and put it on the World Wide Web in front of lost people. And it ought not be so. Now, I had to get that in whether you like it or not. Amen. I'm all for fellowship. I'm all for brotherhood. Point number one, if I didn't give you the name of it, and it, it's the camaraderie of the saints. We got Peter and John. Uh, they went up together. I take your Bible, go to Philippians chapter one, and you're going to keep your place if you want. In, in Acts chapter three, that's where the message is going to mostly come out of. But Paul talked a lot about this thing. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he wrote this. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, look what it says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, it says striving together, uh, not, not with each other, and not against uh, each other. Uh, uh, and I don't know who came up with the expression dog-eat-dog -dog world, but how appropriate is that? We live in it, and I'm here to tell you that in this day and age which we live, striving together for the faith of the gospel becomes it said there in the verse, as becometh, becomes. In other words, it adorns, it beautifies. When you and I, in spite of our differences, amen, can stand fast with one mind and one spirit for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the concept of Jesus Christ, it confounds that world. It glorifies the gospel of Christ because the only reason we're in the same room together tonight is because of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we've got in common. That's bigger than our differences. Amen. Uh, we left the church one time after a couple days preaching, and, uh, and uh, this is a long time ago, and I'm much more spiritual now, right? 
wife. And, uh, and I said to her, I said, you know, honey, those, those people are kind of strange, you know. And she, being a spiritual giant in our family, said, well, let's face it, honey, everybody's not absolutely normal like Dave Spurgeon. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that must be it. <laughs> Amen. Again, let me say it again. A bunch of us wouldn't even be in the same room together. We don't have enough in common, amen, to be referring to one another's brothers and sisters in Christ if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. Thank God. Thank God. Flip in chapter uh, 133. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, turn there, and if you find it, we'll get you a King James Bible. Uh, Psalm 133, in verse 1, the Bible says this. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it's a good testimony to a lost and dying world, isn't it? Uh, Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give unto thee, that you love one another. Uh, even as I have loved you, that you have loved one another. And then he says in verse 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one another. The greatest testimony uh, to the reality of the gospel of Christ, of Jesus Christ himself, on this planet is Christians treating each other right. Amen. Amen. By this shall all men know. Amen. So in this account tonight uh, of the beggar who got more than he bargained for, uh, number one is the camaraderie of the saints. All right, you with me? Two of you? Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm an evangelist. I'm used to this. Verse 2. Verse 2. We're in Acts chapter 3. You're welcome. Acts chapter uh, 3 and verse number 2 now. And it says, And a certain man, uh, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them, that entered into the temple. Now, number two tonight uh, is the condition of this sinner. The condition of this sinner. I want you to notice that uh, according to verse two, uh, he was born with this condition. Uh, he wasn't uh, in an accident as a child. He didn't contract some kind of malady that resulted in him, in him being lame. It makes a point to say. You know, I believe when the Bible makes a point to say something, it's there for a reason. And it makes a point to say this, that he was lame from his mother's womb. And it wasn't, it wasn't his fault. Amen. And uh, he was born with, we're talking about his condition. He was born with this condition. And I'm going to tell you something, you and I are born with a condition too. And it says in Job chapter 14, verse 1, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Now, uh, I know they talk every once in a while, I'm not on the cutting edge of technology or, or current events and don't want to be. But I, every, every so many years, uh, somebody start talking about uh, cloning or, or, or test tube babies and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I don't know where all that is. I could care less. But uh, as far as I know, now, if I'm wrong, don't correct me while I'm preaching. But as far as I know, that's where people still come from. Am I right? Uh, born of a woman, right? I mean, there's some pretty convoluted ideas about some things these days. But as far as I know, uh, uh, people still... Uh, now I do, I will say this, I've run across a few that look like 
They crawled out from under a rock. But truth be known, uh, just like the book says in Job 14, man that is born of, of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Listen, uh, beloved, tonight, you and I were born with a problem. It says this in uh, Psalm 8, 58, verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born. Speaking lies. Hey, we're born, I'm saying, we're born with a condition. We're born sinners. That precious, precious, I'll be in trouble with grandma after this. That precious, precious little child that you've prayed for and thank you much, uh, uh, Lillian. Uh, what a joy it is that she's made the progress that she has. I mean, uh, but truth of the matter is, she's a little sinner. I know, I know. I'm not even looking at my wife because I'm getting it right now. And the other day she was at our house. She's laying in the bed and uh, on our bed, big bed. She couldn't get off. She wanted to pillows all around. And I hear her crying and I walk in there and I just look at this thing. I marvel at this life, you know, that God produced. And, uh, and, and she's crying and I'm going, hey, you know, and I start touching her. She stops. She stops crying, amen. And then, and then as soon as I stop telling she starts crying again. And I, you know, I pat her a little more and I'm talking to her and she stops. She didn't need nothing. She didn't need to go to the bathroom. She didn't need no food. She's acting like, you know, screaming bloody murder. And all she wants is to be touched and held. Amen. Do I no problem with her? I'm telling you what, they're born sinners. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Let me take something else. Now, you're going to agree with this, you ladies, all you ladies, all you mothers. They're sinners before they were born. Now, I know what the Bible says, and I'm not a Bible corrector, and it says as soon as they've been born. But how many of you mothers that have given birth have experienced what they call false labor? Raise your hand. Mrs. Ruth, boy, her hand went up so fast. And Miss Ruth, which one of them which gave you the most? No, I won't go there. But false labor, that's it, one, come on, be honest, false labor, thank you, took a while, that's okay, loosen up, okay, amen. So they're saying, I'm ready, you know, four months in, five months in, they're practicing for when they come out, for when they're born little liars, amen. <laughs> All right, let me tell you something out, we're talking about the condition of this uh, sinner, he is born with his condition. You saw that, right? Verse number two. But I'll tell you what else it said. It said uh, 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 he was carried, whom they laid daily. Uh, you know what this fellow is? He is totally dependent upon somebody else. I don't know about you. Probably I do. You're probably just like me. And I could say, a man doesn't like to feel helpless. A man doesn't like to feel vulnerable. But uh, listen, as far as I can tell, uh, women don't like it either. Amen. Uh, nobody likes to feel vulnerable. Amen. And uh, I mean, that's the way it was when I was growing up. That's the way it was when I was raised. Something's happened in the last decade or so where it's become popular to be a victim. Uh, instead of people uh, trying to get victory over issues, they embrace them and claim syndromes and everything else, and they've got reasons, and now it's popular. Uh, people are embracing concepts that they would have avoided at all costs 30 years ago. 
And uh, so the world gets like that, and I, I get it, because the world's lost. But what I'm noticing traveling around, in Bible Christianity, I mean, this is my crowd. In our circles, it's become popular for people to come up with some reason why they cannot do the things that they're supposed to do because they've got a list of. And beloved, with Jesus Christ, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and we need to lose that thing. This guy was born with his problem, just like you and I were born with a sin problem, and he's totally dependent upon others. And you might say, well, I'm not dependent. I work. I'm smart. I'm skilled. I don't care how all that you are, how resourceful you may be. Everybody in here had one problem uh, that they were totally helpless to address. And we are totally dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ to pay that sin debt. We couldn't pay it. We couldn't pay it. We got more in common with this sinner than, uh, than we thought, don't we? Verse number three said this, says, Who seeing uh, Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. Now an alms is anything given gratuitously to relieve the poor. And it could be money, it could be food, but that's what an alms is. He's a beggar. That's why you know he's a beggar, because he's asking alms. Now, I grew up I, I grew up in the 60s. My mother was an Irish lady that was pretty straight shooter. And, uh, and uh, she said a lot of things that have stuck with me. And, and I think back now, she was, I can't think of anything she was wrong on. I argued with her for 20 years, but she was usually turned out to be right. And she said this, she said, David, little David, you know, beggars can't be choosers. How many have heard that before? How many have grew up hearing that? But I'll tell you what, that don't fly these days. That is diametrically opposed to the, to the mentality of the day and age which we live. I'm out in Southern California, and uh, I don't know, uh, Los Angeles somewhere, and I'm with a preacher, and we pull into a gas station to buy gas, and, uh, and he's out there pumping, I'm sitting in the car, and uh, boy, I see it, man, right over there by where, it was one of them places where the, you pay in the middle of the pumps, and I see a guy standing there, and I know exactly what he's doing, he's sitting there, he's looking around, and trying to pick out the prospect that he can go try to panhandle from. And buddy, I got something about me. Uh, uh, I must be magnetic to that crowd because when he locked eyes with me, here he comes. And I knew exactly what he wanted. And I pull out a gospel track and about $3. And uh, I put it in the track and I'm ready for him. When he gets there, I said, yeah, man, I'll help you out. But let me give you something to read. Let me, get, let me show you what will really get you the help we need, that you need. Boy, and he grabbed that track out of my hand and looked at that. Pulled $3 out, threw the track down, said, $3? And I can't repeat what he said after that. But he wasn't. And, of course, I'm in the car, and I lunge out to get the $3 back. But he took off running. He took the money. But he wasn't happy. He was going to be a chooser. Amen. I don't know what he expected, but uh, that was too much. I shouldn't have gave him that much. Beggars these days are choosers. I would come out of a, 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 a place, uh, drive to Walmart, I think it was in Tallahassee years ago now, and uh, come out of the driveway and sitting out by the light, there's a guy, looked like, you know, able-bodied young man, maybe 30 years old, got a backpack, you know, he's sitting on his backpack, he's got a dog, about a 50, 60-pound dog, 
He's smoking a cigarette, and he's got a cardboard sign, and he's begging. Now, you know, I didn't have anything extra, and I'm not buying nobody dog food or cigarettes no way. But I want to be a blessing. I want to be a help. I'm compassionate now that I'm saved. And I rolled down the window, and I yelled over. I said, hey, man, you need some help? You hungry? He goes, yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. I said, why don't you take your lighter, start a fire, and eat that dog? And, you know, I just try. And I can't repeat what I actually rolled the window up while he was in mid-sentence. It was kind of. But, you know, beggars are something else, boy. Now, I'm coming off a ramp down in South, Rich Barnett, down there in South Florida. I know you know him. Down there in South Florida, I'm coming off a ramp, and, uh, and there's a guy up at the exit, and he's got a sign, and he's about 30 feet back from the road. He's got a sign, and, uh, and his back's to me because like two or three cars have stopped. They're in line. It reminds me of Chick-fil-A drive-thru. They're waiting to give this guy something. I said, man, whatever that guy's doing is working. And I went around the mall. I didn't get in line, I promise. And, but I did look back to see what his sign said. And it said this, why lie? I need a beer. And buddy, it was working. People were stopping to give him beer money. I'm going to tell you what, this whole idea of begging's changed a lot since, uh, since I was growing up. Now, I'll say this. Now, it said they laid him by the gate of the temple and some well-meaning folks. I guess they were well-meaning, unless they were just trying to get him off their driveway. But some well-meaning, it said daily. Uh, somebody, they, he was dependent, but somebody was helping him. And, and these well-meaning fo- folks, it seemed to get him that far. But the passage shows us clearly he's still on the outside. He's on the outside uh, of the temple, he's on the doorstep. We live in a day and age where, where churches are gracious and, and, and charitable and uh, help people, and we ought to help people. Amen. And, uh, and uh, we live in a time where, where people, I mean, they'll run vehicles, they'll run buses, they'll invite people, they'll go pick people up, they'll bring them to churches, they'll, they'll, they'll get them food, they'll get them clothing, they'll get them all that stuff. And then, and then if they'll sit out a church service, they'll leave them on the doorstep to heaven because their idea of doing something good is giving somebody a can of soup, but they won't give them the gospel. Amen. And I got one thing to say about it. Shame on them. Because truth of the matter is, people go to the same hell from a church pew as a dope house or a jailhouse. Amen. So number two, now number one uh, was uh, camaraderie of the saints. And you don't have to write that down. There will not be a quiz. I was, I was visiting Lillian in, in, in intensive care a couple weeks ago. And there's a young man behind the counter up on whatever floor it was. And I give, we give a lot of tracts out in there. And, uh, and uh, so the guy's sitting there and, I, you know, he let, pushes the button. And, and I say, hey, did you read that thing I gave you? And he said, uh, he said, yeah. I said, that's good, son, because there will be a quiz. And he's like, his eyes got real big. He didn't know if I was kidding or not. The truth of the matter is, there will be a quiz. The Bible says, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Amen? All right, so number one, camaraderie of the saints. There won't be a quiz. Okay, calm down. Number two, uh, the condition of the sinner. Number three, uh, I want you to notice verse four. And what we're going to see here is the confidence in the Savior. 
confidence that Peter and John had in the Savior. Verse number four says this, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, wasn't just Peter, with John said, look on us. Isn't that an interesting wording? Fastening their eyes. That's kind of intense. You know what that reminded me of when I heard that? When I married Mrs. Wonderful back there, and uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, I call my dear wife Mrs. Wonderful. Amen. And you say, why do you do that? Well, two reasons. I think she made me sign a prenuptial agreement. I can't remember for sure. But, but anybody that lived in a motorhome with me for 24 years and traveled around the country and leave all them precious grandkids behind, three of them are here tonight, uh, that's got to be pretty wonderful. That girl is as dedicated to serving Jesus Christ as I ever was. And I thank God for that. So when I married her, and you were an usher in our wedding, uh, Pastor Elliot, um, uh, when I married her, she had three kids, and I had two. And, uh, and uh, uh, mine were real little, and this, this whole normal people life, let alone parenting, let alone marriage, was all kind of, you know, I wasn't very good at it. And I was paying attention. She was good at it. She'd been at it for a while. And, uh, and she, had, uh, she had perfected a method of correcting children in public. Now, you know that uh, it's not like it was in the 60s where your mom would haul off and smack you across the face. Amen. Remember, Brother Mike, I can see that you're of that crew. And, uh, and uh, we live in a day and age you can't even threaten them. I'll spank you when you get home. You can't do that stuff. Somebody will be out there taking your life number and child services will be home when you get there. And believe me, I know of t places and I know of people that's happened to. So you got to be wise. The Bible says to be wise as a serpent. And, uh, and uh, my wife, and I observe all this, I'm watching all this, and uh, she had developed something that the children told me, she didn't tell me. I observed it, I inquired, and the children told me that, 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 that uh, she mastered the death look. <laughs> the death, now she's German, so you know they got a leg up on that death look thing anyway. And uh, yeah, she's scary. I said, the only reason God let you marry me because I'm Irish and if it wasn't for me, you'd really be out of control, but I'm still not doing that good of a job. But uh, what would she do? She didn't go, you know, like some of you do, you know, when you get home, three wax or whatever. Are we being taped? <laughs> <laughs> Can I say I, don't, I could care less? <laughs> My name is David Spurgeon, and this uh, message is not authorized by Anchor Baptist. <laughs> and, uh, but she'd stare them down, boy. She'd stare them down and give them a look, and they went, I'd freeze. I mean, I watched it. They'd freeze and go, oh, we're in trouble when we get home. And well, they weren't afraid of me. <laughs> Amen. The death look, she mastered it. Amen. And, uh, but this isn't the death. Now, that's what I thought of. When I say eyes fasten, I'm going, this is serious. Serious look. Made me think of Mrs. Wonderful. And, uh, but that isn't the death look. This is the life Amen. look. Amen. When he says, look on us, he's about to tell them. Uh, Peter's about to tell them about eternal life. It says, verse 5, and he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And I'll bet he did. And here's why. Uh, this guy's laid daily at the, at the gate of the temple. I guarantee something. People aren't walking by him day in and day out 
and saying, oh, sorry. Uh, you know, they ain't saying nothing to him. They don't see him. He's invisible. You understand what I'm saying? They're so used to him being sitting there. I've been street preaching in Manhattan, New York City, more than a few times. She's been out there holding a sign. Some of the kids were singing on a street corner. And I was street preaching in New York one time, and we were taking turns, me and a pastor and another guy. And uh, one would preach, and the other two would hand out tracts, kind of run interference in case of the cuckoos. And there's cuckoos out there. And... Uh, and, uh, and so I preached, and oh, that was fun. And uh, then I'm, now I'm the guy, I'm the point guy, and I'm handing out tracts. And I, had, uh, I tried to hand out, I tried to hand out tracts for a good 15 minutes while that brother preached. And not one person, not only did no one take one, no one even saw me. No one looked me in the eye. No one said, get out of here, I don't want that. They just walked by like you don't even exist. Ain't like that in the Ukraine, is it, brother? That's the way it is in some places of America. Amen? And so when a preacher got done, a brother got done, I walked over to him and I says, uh, let me ask you something. I says, can you, like, see me? I mean, did I turn invisible or something? You know, and he laughed, wondered what I was talking about, because it seemed so. I'm telling you, people get immune to this kind of thing. So when Peter and John, it said there in verse 5, uh, he, uh, he gave heed unto them. Well, when they stopped and even talked to him, he had reason to believe they were going to give him something. Verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. And then he said this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. When Peter told him that, his confidence was not in his apostolic gift of healing. Amen. It's real simple. It was in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus had said that two other times. Peter heard him say that to two different guys, and uh, they rose up and walked, and walked. And uh, Peter's, I mean, he was so confident, because, hey, listen, Jesus Christ isn't even there. I mean, his confidence was strong enough that it said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you tonight, beloved, that it says in uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, wherefore God hath uh, highly also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Now I don't know about you but that makes that one powerful name. Amen. And Peter had such confidence in his Savior that he believed that that guy was going to be able to do just what he did and we'll see that in a second. But I also want to say this. That's the name our confidence is in. We've got it very clearly. It says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. This isn't multiple choice. This isn't turning over new leaf. This isn't religion. Amen. This is all about Jesus Christ. Plus nothing, minus nothing like we heard uh, already today. Our confidence isn't in our church. It isn't in our camp. It isn't in our denomination, our confidence. Somebody better amen this. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ. I mean, let's face it, isn't that uh, the name we're gathered 
in tonight. It says in, in, in Matthew 18 and verse 24, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Uh, that means this. Uh, we don't have to beg God to show up. God's more interested in meeting with us than we are. Amen. I tell you what we need to do is pray we don't run him off. So how do we do that? Well, when that unholy trinity rears its head, I'm not talking about the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet. I'm talking about the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And when people get up and start bragging on themselves, God says, see you later. And he'll leave. And I've seen him. I've seen him be in meetings. And I've seen him, the spirit of God, depart when something carnal or worldly or fleshly took center stage. Amen. Listen, I've been to a lot of things. I've been involved in a lot of things. I told my wife earlier today about something. I said, that baloney wouldn't have held my attention six months. But the church of Jesus Christ, like been said by two preachers already today, it becomes more precious to me every year, every month, every week. My beloved, tonight our confidence is in Jesus Christ. I called on that name one day from a jail cell. Amen. Brother Haddon just retired from the Montgomery County Jail. Praise the Lord for, for uh, correction officers. Brother, God used people in your profession to put me in a place where I could hear the gospel. I mean that. I feel the same way about policemen. Amen. I didn't like it at the time much, but amen. God knew what I needed. I called on that name. Uh, it worked for me. I didn't go straight. I was just getting good at what I was doing. But he changed. Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I had no clue what I was getting into. Amen. I'd have never seen me hanging around a bunch of folks like you. And you probably feel the same way. But God changed my heart. Amen. Amen. I sure never saw any of this preaching thing coming. I never did. But I'm glad to be saved. That worked. I called on the name of Jesus. Amen. I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know to ask to be saved. I didn't know the lingo. But I'm going to tell you what everybody knows. Everybody knows they've done wrong. And when you tell them that the price of their wrong is an everlasting hell and that they can be forgiven, everybody understands forgiveness. And the best way I knew how, I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me. And I meant it. And I was raised in a little Methodist church in northern Ohio. I knew who Jesus Christ was. I didn't have any reason to doubt uh, uh, what he did on the cross. I'd heard that all my life. Amen. I never heard that it needs to become personal. Amen. And boy, when it got personal, everything changed. Amen. That book says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that means? I mean, it worked for me. And if I was asked for a show of hands, a bunch of you would probably raise your hand and say it worked for you. But I'm talking about them people that are driving up and down. What road is that? Spinning? Driving up that road and every other road in this town and every other road in this country. Right now, while church is going on somewhere, all them people that look a million miles from God, like some of us were, there's hope for every one of them, too. That one, that, one, uh, that one you know, maybe a family member, a co-worker that looks the farthest from God. 
is a prime candidate. The Bible said there's a faith of saying a word that all acceptation in Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. You know, I look at that thing, Paul's gone. The rest of us have been jockeying for position as chief of sinners ever since. Thank God we are pre-qualified for the gift of eternal life. Amen. So, number three. Now, number one, I'm just a camaraderie of the saints. Uh, condition of the sinner. Confidence, I even forget. Confidence in the Savior. And then number four. I mean, come on, you didn't think it was three. No. So, number four, look at verse uh, next. Verse seven. I'm having a good time. If you haven't noticed, I, I notice I'm having more fun than some of you, but that's my life as an evangelist. I, I, that's okay. Amen. Somebody said, Pastor Job's the comfort the afflicted, and then every once in a while you bring somebody like me along to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> Could I say I love my job? I'm really, and, and you know, very busy. Verse 7, it says this, and, and he took him, now that's Peter, and, uh, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Really? I mean, just like the preacher said. And uh, in verse 8, said, And he leaping up, stood and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now that's where it was when we found him in our opening verse, verse 9. Uh, but he, I just, this is the celebration, here's what you got going here, is the celebration of the saved. Notice how the, the, pretty good, I know. That's not my best thing, but <laughs> it, we got a guy. It says he stood and walked for the first time. He's been lame since birth. He stood and walked for the first time. How, do you, how many remember the enlighteners? Those blind ladies used to come and sing. And they would say, I feel sorry for you people that can see because the first thing we'll ever see is Jesus Christ. Amen. This guy's never walked before. And this is his first day. And it's, I, I couldn't uh, uh, help but notice, he didn't run home and tell his mom or his friends. He walked right into the church house, the first place he went. That's gratitude right there. That's, that's what Jesus Christ doing what no one else can do ought to produce. Amen. Uh, I got saved on November 30th, 1990. It was a week after Thanksgiving. I'd been locked up for a month. I was going to be there for quite a while if the government had its way. I've been no bonded twice on federal drug and weapons charges. And uh, Friday morning uh, was the anniversary of uh, one of my guys that got murdered. And uh, I thought, man, if that book's true, he's in hell. Been there for 10 years, and I'm going to. And the best way I knew how, I laid that Bible, that King James Bible. I didn't know anything about Bibles. I laid it on the floor next to my cell, and I said, Lord, uh, me and you both know I deserve to be here. And uh, that preacher talked about hell, and me and you both know that I deserve to go to hell. I, well, I didn't play no games like that. I knew I was a sinner. Convicts know they're sinners. It's church people, you got to convince them they're sinners. But boy, you go out there and preach in them jails, juvenile facilities, they know they're sinners. And, uh, and I said, but that Bible also says and I've been looking at it for a month, uh, that Jesus Christ went to the cross, and I said, Lord, if that could include me, I want in on this. Amen. Say, that don't sound very spiritual. Uh, listen, I'm not very spiritual now, but I'm saved, Amen. and I love God. I mean, what are the qualifications for eternal life? 
Amen. So the next day, the next day, that was a Friday morning, and uh, the next day, December 1st, I've been saved last, oh, well, right at 24 hours. And they come by uh, the range again up there, and, uh, and I was on E3 North in the old part for you, Brother Haddon. And, uh, and uh, they said, church. And I said, I raised my hand. And a couple people were very shocked because it had been a month since I'd been in church. But I, I went down there. And, uh, and uh, instead of sitting in the back row and finding somebody to talk to like I did the first time, I sat right up front next to the preacher, and I sat right up there, and, uh, and there was about a dozen guys in there. And he asked, he said this, he said, uh, anybody in there saved? Now, I didn't ask to be saved. I didn't know the word saved, but, you know, come on. I knew what he meant, and I raised my hand. Oh, that's what you call it? Yeah, I did something. And you should have seen the looks of the other guys that I've been fussing with, and that was a very polite way to say fist fighting, uh, for the previous month. And that preacher preached. And one of the guys, one of the guys, he was, uh, you know, just trying to cause trouble. And uh, he got in that preacher's face and, uh, about something, and he set him up, and the guy was very nervous, and his legs were shaking. I'm looking down, and this guy, I was afraid he's going to wet his pants. And, uh, and uh, I looked... <laughs> And I yelled, I said over to this guy, I said, if you don't sit down and shut up, when we get back up the range, I'm going to kick your rear end from one end of that thing to the other. Now, they knew me there. Now, they didn't, I didn't even, I thought, well, let me just keep going. He sat down, shut up. And I remember sitting there thinking, this Christian thing's not so bad. We still get to fist fight. We just get to defend preachers. Amen. Instead of beating up dope dealers. Amen. And that was my first day. First day as a Christian. I went to church. Three weeks later, I walked in the back door of Charity Baptist Church out there in Beaver Creek. Some of you were there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, this guy stood and walked and went right into the temple. I remember Don Green saying years ago, he said this, if what you got, and he's talking about when you get saved, he said, if what you got won't get you into church. Are you sure it'll get you into heaven? Amen. I'm not trying to add works to salvation or anything like that. But that's a thought provoker. Because it was a given. It was just, it, it was easy. But as I travel around in all these years, and I see people that get saved, and, and, and the FBI can't find them with a warrant half the time. And uh, it ain't up to me whether they really got it or not. I get people tell me all the time, well, do you think those guys really get saved in jail? And I says, I don't know. I, 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 I did. And uh, I'm not sure about all them people in church, but I'm pretty sure some of them do. Amen. That's not our department. Amen. Uh, I had a guy say this, said, well, you don't have to go to church to be spiritual. And, you know, what are you going to say? I, I, I said this, I, well, maybe not, but every spiritual person I ever met did if he could. Amen. And I've talked to a lot of backslidden Christians. I've talked to a lot that were raised with the proverbial King James Bible silver spoon in their mouth. Not like some of us that got pulled out of a horrible pit in the miry clay. Some of you that have been around the Bible your whole life. Raised with family devotion, raised with straight preaching, 
And boy, I tell you what, we see them and it's a heartbreak for mom and dad. It's a heartbreak for me. It's a heartbreak for Jesus Christ. Some of them bound and determined to prove us right, that there ain't nothing out there, that sin never left anybody better than found them. And uh, sometimes I've crossed paths with more than a few in the years. And I said, hey, look, man, I mean, I know you. I know your family. What, what happened? And you know how it almost always starts? Now, you get dabbling around in something you shouldn't. But really the kicker is they'll say this. I got out of church. That book says the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And backsliding don't start when your pew's empty. Backsliding starts right there in that pew, right there in your chest. And that vacancy is just a result of it. I'm going to tell you something tonight. I believe it's important to be in church. I've gotten a blessing for the last two months I've been coming here by the people that are coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that's the way I was raised in the Lord. I believe that's the way it should be. And I'm nobody's judge, but I wonder why it is I feel so comfortable here. Amen. We're talking about the celebration of the saints. Uh, it said there, uh, 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 verse 8 again, and he leaping up and stood and walked and entered with them into the temple. Look at it, it says, walking and, and leaping. <laughs> Leaping. I'm not going to demonstrate what that might be. Uh, 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 walking and leaping and praising God. He'd have been hard not to notice. So this guy, I mean, he's out there sitting, amen, begging, and uh, nobody even knew how tall he was. Now all of a sudden you got this guy, he looks familiar, you know, all I've seen is the top of his head. But he looks familiar, and he's with Peter and John, who are regulars, and he's leaping, and, and I, I just, I know this from experience. No doubt he made some of the dignified folk oh, yeah. Come on. very uncomfortable. Amen. We go to churches. We got a lot of churches we go to over and over all these years, and some every two years, some every three. And the Lord gives us five or six, seven new churches every year. We try to uh, keep place for that. We're going to be gone two months we got three churches we've never been to before. One in New York, one in Maine, and one in New Hampshire. Amen. And, uh, and we're going to go, and we, we're going to a place where people don't know us. And, uh, and we just take our place in the pew. This thing about sitting, I'm glad you don't have big, I hate that. I preach in a place, man, I preach in Colorado Springs, and they got 40s, fancy, big over stuff, nicer than I got in my house. Amen. Sitting, and the pastor's sitting behind you, and the deacon's sitting over there, and one of them, and I'm trying to preach, and I'm spending half the time, I said, look, I just want you to know, I don't trust you guys, I don't like, what are you doing there, you know, and I never got asked back there, I don't know what happened there, but, uh, you know, if I don't want to go back, I know how to make that happen, too. Amen. <laughs> and uh, so we'll just come in and take a place and, and you know those hymns I'm with your pastor I like those old there's more gospel there's more bible in that hymn book Amen. than's coming across the pulpit in 90% of the pulpits in America and I just made that up but it's probably close and at least I tell on myself most guys don't <laughs> amen that's sound doctrine in those hymns not every single time but don't capitalize on the negative. And uh, amen. 
And, and I listen, I'm not going to change ever, so just be prepared. If that hymn says something that's worth a shout or an amen, I'm going to amen. 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 Preacher said something worth agreeing with, I'm going to say amen. amen. See, I never did care all that much about what everybody else thought. Why would I start now? Amen. Now, here's what happens when I go to a church and they don't know who we are and I don't know how they are and the preach song leader maybe or the preacher and I'll say, uh, amen, and people jump. I love it because they'll jump, man, and like because they ain't used to that. And then I'm kind of getting to know the spirit of the place before I get up and preach. Amen. And, uh, and, uh, and they won't turn around. They won't look. They won't do that because, you know, they just... And then, but the kids, I love the kids, because the kids, they'll spin right around. Who did that, you know? And then they look, and I'll go. And they laugh, you know. And then I'll do it again. Mom and Dad jump again, and it's real fun. Then I get up and preach, and they all pretend like they like it, and they didn't. I knew they didn't. We had a gal stand at our church. I don't know how many heard it. No, Tony Dudia, and he was out of sound doctrine. His little girl was at our house. She was like four or five, and, uh, and she's like 25 now. And uh, she tells my wife, it was during camp meeting, so I was there. My sleeves were rolled up and everything, and this little precious little girl, and uh, uh, she tells my wife, she goes to my wife and says, I don't like your dad. <laughs> so she laughed for about a half an hour on that. I don't like your dad. And Susan says, uh, really, why not? And she said, because he's loud <laughs> and has stickers all over him. That's what she <laughs> Amen. So I bring that up. every. I see her every couple years, and I bring that up. Amen. I right, saw so let's say this. It's scriptural. Right there in the passage, we see it. It's scriptural to get excited about Jesus Christ. It is. Now, I understand some people are challenged personality-wise. I get it. I know you go to your favorite ball game. God forbid it be the Dayton Dragons. Are you kidding? Dragons? Amen. I probably lost somebody there. Good thing I'm not taking an offering. And, uh, and you go to your game, and if you sit there like a bump on a log, then by all means, do that at church. You know, we'll get you some help. You know? and, uh, but people don't. People get excited about what they love. And I'm just trying to tell you, we let the charismatics steal our shout. Then we let the queers steal our rainbow. That's our rainbow. <laughs> Amen. Why are we letting heathens take stuff from us? We're Bible believers. Amen. I say that to say this. We need to get our shout back. And I'm not talking about acting goofy. I mean, I do, but you don't have to. But it's okay to get excited about the Lord. Amen. If you haven't noticed, let me help you. If you haven't noticed, and one of the things I love about this church, your pastor is excited about Jesus Christ. He's excited about being saved. He's a little too excited about the Navy, for my opinion, but that's okay. That's okay. We're brothers. Right on. Air bump. Okay, come on. We're going on. Moving on. Here's my thought. 
and I'm much closer to being done than I was 10 minutes ago. If a person doesn't like praising God, amen, uh, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, or being around God's people, you know, Harold Lake had a song about the 1205 dash, you know. People come in and, uh, and, uh, and service starts and it's supposed to end, and you, I guess you take your time clock in the foyer and clock in, clock out. And, uh, and uh, this church, I'm telling you what, you know what the sign of a healthy church is? People hang around. Hang around a fellowship because you like each other. You're going back to the nasty now and now for a couple more days, and uh, you're not in a hurry to get out. Now, I understand sometimes you have to because you're Baptist and you got to go eat. <laughs> but uh, you guys hang around, and we like that. We hang around strangers all the time. We're the last person to leave uh, most of the churches that we preach at. Of course, our motorhome's in the driveway, so we don't have far to go. But uh, that's a sign of a healthy church, and if a person doesn't like being around God's people, I mean, I'm pretty sure if I'm reading my Bible right, that's who's going to be there, right? And we're going to be worshiping the Lord. We're probably going to get a little, you know, I mean, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. I don't think it's going to be like that. Amen. <laughs> so if you don't want to do, if you don't want to do that kind of stuff, why would you even want to go to heaven? And, oh, that's right. You just didn't want to go to hell. Well, too bad, because if you got your name in the book of life, you're going to have to go and put up with some of us loud mouths up there. Amen. But then again, I start thinking about why some people put so much emphasis on that mansion. One time, John chapter 14, in my father's house are many mansions. And I never lived in a mansion. I live in an RV most of the time. And, uh, and that's cool, whatever. But uh, I'm thinking that there's songs written about it and all that. And there's a pastor's wife out in uh, West. I'll just limit it to that. And uh, she got up and sang a special one time. And uh, she said, oh, this is my favorite hymn. And she sang, uh, I've got a mansion over the hilltop. And I thought, okay, well, it's a nice hymn. I don't have any problem with that. But I, I, I just, I don't, I don't. That ain't my favorite hymn. Not even close. You want to hear it? Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. Help me out. Come on. On the streets of glory. You better help me out. We can be here a while. Um, yeah. Now let's try it again without the preacher interrupting. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. I got a lot of favorites, but that's, that's right up there. That's what comes to mind. Amen. Verse 9, where we started. Let's go back there. Verse 9, it says this, And all the people saw him. Now you know who they're talking about. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. You know exactly what happened to him now. 
Verse 11 says this, And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. Greatly wondering. You know what that tells me? That tells me that people do notice when things really change. Let me ask you something. Are you saved? Show me your hands. If you're saved there tonight, raise your hand. Good. That's a good number of hands. Let me say this. If I was to go around the room right now, we'll start with you. Go around the room right now, and and that's going to give a short testimony, and tell me about that. Tell me about what you're basing your salvation on. Could you do it? Could you do it? Could you do it? Could you do it? I know some of you are nervous right now. I'm not going to do that. You know why? Because I believe that in our churches, King James Bible-believing churches, we got people that say they are or think they are, maybe even think they are, because mommy and daddy told them they were. But if you ask them to nail it down, they couldn't tell you. And I'm going to tell you why that is. Because they're not saved. And you need to be saved. Amen? If there's anybody like that in here tonight, you need to nail. I'm not a retreader. You need, I'm telling you what I see traveling around the country for a quarter of a century. You need to get that thing nailed down. Now, I'm not going to ask you about how you got saved, but I'm going to tell you this. For those of you that raise your hand, for those of you that are, has your getting saved caused anybody to be filled with wonder and amazement at that which has happened unto you? It should. That's what will open the door for you to tell them about not your church, not your experience, not your beliefs, not your ideas, not some stinking YouTube video. Don't send that junk to me. Amen? It'll give you a chance to tell them about your Savior. I hand out tracts and I say, can I give you something to read, tell you about what Jesus Christ did for me? And they'll look at that thing and they'll look at that old picture and they'll say, what happened to you? I said, thank you, Lord. I'd be happy to tell you. And people should be see something in you, whether it's just your demeanor at work. It's not about your soul winning policy or your little. It's about your conversation. It's about your walk. It's about your life. That ought to cause them to see there's something different. And we're the only hope this world's got. Amen? Simple message tonight. Camaraderie, condition, confidence, celebration. One more thing. Uh, There's a consequence to stepping into eternity unsaved. And I will say it again. If you're in here and you're not saved, amen, uh, you better get that thing straightened out. For real. Not because of mommy and daddy, not because the heat's on or you're in trouble. It's time to get a hold of what Bible salvation really is. The Bible said, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead and thou shalt be saved. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And I had a convict one time say, well, what does that mean? Believe in your heart. And uh, I said, well... I guess the only way I can answer that is this right is like this. 
If everybody else in the history of the human race was going to heaven except you, Jesus Christ would have done all that he did so that you could be forgiven. Now that's what that pronoun, thine and thou, means. It's personal. It's not corporate. He died for me. If you're saved, I'm glad you got in on it. But that's how I look at it. From the cross, he said, Father, forgive that knucklehead Spurgeon because he's been running around for 37 years like a fool and he's going to end up in hell. And thank God for praying mother and a place where, where I could get locked down and sat down and shut up long enough to hear I had bigger problems than I thought. And I got saved. And you're in a church house. And don't you dare go to hell from the pew of this church. Amen. And I said, well, everybody thinks I'm saved. God don't. If you're not, now if you are, praise the Lord. But boy, I'm not going to leave a message without a plea to make sure you're a Christian. Make sure you're saved. It's time to get a hold of the fact that the consequences of dying unsaved is lifting up your eyes in hell. And I thought I was a tough guy in the old days. And, uh, but I, I tell you what, I was honest enough with myself to, to admit I ain't tough enough for that. And I got it. And I'm glad I got it. And if you're saved, let's all stand. If you're saved, I'm glad you got it. Let's do something with it. Let's make an impact on a lost and dying world while we got a chance. Pastor's coming, piano player's coming, whoever's coming, maybe you should be coming. That's between you and the Lord. But uh, again, let me just say thank you for letting us be part of you. Hope they don't change. You're not going to like take a new vote after I leave. No. And please pray for us. Amen.